Hi and welcome back to another podcast show with Miriam Khan and Raise Your Vibes. Thanks for tuning in guys. I appreciate your listening in and tuning in and being regular fans. Thanks very much. Today's topic is about redemption. Can we save everybody? By saving, I mean we know people that have perhaps gone on the wrong path of life, made the wrong choices, wrong decisions. Can we do anything about it? Can we steer them on the right path? Can we steer them back to being a good human being? This is a big topic, isn't it? It's a big question, you know, and as times have changed and society has changed, each individual is going to have a different perspective on this depending on which culture you're from, which background you're from, which tradition you're from, which country you're living in. We're all going to have different uh, perspectives and different experiences based on this. And um, Before I go into um, giving you my sort of views on this, or this sort of like topic um, as a global perspective, I guess, it's interesting or maybe good for you to know a bit of background about me. So here we go. So born and raised in Sheffield in England, um, worked as a teacher in Leeds and Huddersfield and Bradford and internationally as well um, in various countries. Um, but the main bread and butter for me has been my teaching background and obviously the counselling background that I have has made me come into contact with quite a lot of people that have needed quite a lot of help. Um, when I initially started teaching and on my actual teacher training experience, which is part of your postgraduate certificate in education um, that you have to do in England in order to be qualified as a teacher, um, I came across this very interesting lady who was my mentor at the time. Now, she's called Eileen. May she rest in peace because sadly she passed away. And I picked up quite a lot of tips from her in that first year of teaching. Now, you know, your university or your college tells you to follow out everything from your book and to get in touch with them if they don't. This lady did things off the record. She she taught in a very, very different method. Her styles were very old school. And she was also an ex-police officer. When I was timetabled and I was, you know, following her and like, you know, watching her, observing her and observing other teachers. She was the one person that I watched like a hawk. And there was one particular group that something had happened on one particular day and I had to sort of like go in and shadow and support this group that she jokingly called the bank robber group, okay? She actually called them the bank robber group. And back in those days, and I'm talking like 24 years ago when I like first started teaching, um, does it seem that long? But it is. Um, I came in with her to observe this group of four individuals that nobody else in this particular school, and it was a Catholic school, by the way. Okay, so it was a Catholic school. It was a in an inner city area behind it, but where it the school was actually located was extremely wealthy. Okay, but the cohort of students that were coming in were from very very different. Catholic backgrounds. There was also a percentage of non-Catholics as well, including staff like myself. And what was interesting was that she thought I would be very, very apprehensive in dealing with these individuals and dealing with them on a day-to-day -day basis. And I soon discovered why she did call them the bank robber group. Well, um, one of the 15-year-olds had actually held a gun to somebody and charges were dropped um, because they couldn't find the weapon. A story for another time.
But the point was there was this particular person, another one that held a knife and tried to slash someone. Another one had done various other crimes. And she was the only one who was able to keep them in check. You know, uh, I'm talking back in the day where you wouldn't leave a class. One of the things you're told as a teacher, never, ever, ever leave your class. If you have to come out of the classroom, then at least make sure that you're, you know, facing the glass or whatever it is to keep an eye on your class. She stepped away from the classroom. She stepped away and went to the other side of the whole building where she would actually go and have a cigarette. Back in those days, you would have, um, you know, a little room where you could actually have a smoke. And she'd leave them unsupervised, which to me was very unethical, you know, after everything I had been told and taught. And lo and behold, when we'd come back, these kids that nobody else could control or contain or whatever, she had them in check. You know, they were still getting on with what they were told to do. They were getting on with the work. They hadn't destroyed anything. They hadn't stolen anything. They had a lot of respect for her. And she was the type where if anybody had pulled out a line, um, and, you know, again, people will have different opinions of this. I had my own opinion at the time. But she actually made a child stand on a tile, um, which was, you know, obviously in a square shape that was black. The others were white and said, do not move. And again, you'll have your own views on this. I had my own views on this at the time. I still do to this day. Um, but what I recall is that she was able to insert and exhilarate that power. Whether you think it, she was overdoing it is a different matter for another time. The point is that these particular individuals, she was able to build a relationship with them again. She was able to get some sort of um, you know, ownership with them. And I did as well. And I remember her pulling me out of that lesson and saying, I expected you to be absolutely frightened and scared and petrified of these kids. And I'm like, no. And I never was. And that was the start of um, my career with students that had come in and out of prison. Later on, I would go and work with students in another school, having left the Catholic school, you know, gone into a very, very inner city high school and being quite shocked actually at being told that I'm going to be teaching kids that are called pathway four. And I was like, what is a pathway four? In schools, they have all these different codings and different terminology for different groups and different academic settings of different students. Pathway four meant basically these students should not be on site. They should be excluded. They should not be part of the educational system. And in those times, um, you know, the figures are still, still the same. I guess, but you would be fined a lot of money, you know, from your government for excluding that child. Some, In some cases, it was £20,000, £30,000. You had to find alternative provision because at the end of the day, you were liable for that child. You had to educate them, whether it was on-site or off-site. And, you know, um, despite the fact that the school was in very, very challenging circumstances, the school could not get rid of a group of at least 12 individuals that were hardcore bad, okay, as they labelled them. And um, amongst that group, when I started to teach them, you know, uh, I had to have two, and remember this is like the second year of my teaching, I had two assistant head teachers in the room with me physically on site, okay, they were able to restrain the child if the child got out of hand. Um, amongst this group, I had a boy that had come out of prison that had raped somebody else, another child that had come out of prison. And we're talking, you know, under the age of 16, 
okay? So we're talking, you know, 11-year-olds that had been in prison. We're talking uh, 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds, some 14 and 15-year-olds that had been in and out of the prison system since they were eight, nine years old, okay? Um, that's quite an interesting thing to think about, okay, with the different dynamics of that particular child. And it's a young age also to have criminal records because now you're marked for life, okay? And there's not going to be a lot of opportunities when you are trying to find employment or you're trying to further your career or if you've had a bit of a wake-up call and realise, oh, hold on a minute, I don't want to do that again. I actually want to do this. For some individuals, that's quite hard once you've got that criminal record. Some individuals that were in that group, um, I found out were very talented. I was teaching GCSE and also an entry-level group. Entry-level basically means that they're not able to access the curriculum you know some of them struggled to hold a pen pencil some of them didn't know their name or how to write it there were lots of illiterate and numeracy issues there was also social issues economic issues family issues they were in the care system some of them were on drugs you know at that young age and um, from someone who's never had dealings with that to coming across that for some individuals, it can be quite a culture shock. For me, it wasn't. It didn't faze me. I managed to tackle handling both groups at the same time, which is quite quite the challenge, you know? Very, very challenging situation. But also realising that some individuals, when you just had a bit of TLC, which is tender loving care, or you just had a bit of focus and a bit of drive, and you actually didn't hold any grudges against them, you know? We as a society, one of the things that we do, as soon as we discover that someone's been in prison or they've served time in prison, we are exceptionally judgmental. And one of the things that my my close friends will say about me is that I'm one of the least judgmental people. I'll hear you out, I'll give you my view, and then I'll make a decision based on that. I won't hold anything against you, okay? And in this particular instance, it had come in quite handy. And whether I had inherited this trait from my grandfather unknowingly, unwittingly, I'm not sure. My grandfather, my mum's um, dad, growing up, was a regular prison visitor uh, to Wakefield Prison. Wakefield Prison holds quite a number of different clientele in there, okay? And my grandfather was somebody that was um, a Muslim uh, person in the community, somebody with respectability, and somebody that always believed had and had this compassion that people have done wrong, but they can put it right. You know, so if that was, I think that had been like indoctrinated in my head, I guess. Okay. And he would regularly go and visit a lot of the prisoners that were in Wakefield Prison, the Muslim ones especially. And he would build this rapport with them. And he was trying his hardest, I guess, to help them to be rehabilitated, to be a voice of reason, to be a voice of the outside, and also to have this link so that when that person eventually was able to get out, or, you know, some of them were in there for life, you still had someone that believed in you and that believed in you putting things right again, you know? And this was much to the dismay, by the way, of my grandmother, okay? My grandmother did not really fully understand why he was so passionate about these things. And my grandfather, 
has gone on to do some amazing, amazing stuff. And I think, like him, I'm following his footsteps, whether I realise it or not. Okay? But these individuals that I'm talking about in school, you know, from a young age, they're, they're breaking um, barriers. They're breaking, um, you know, rules in society. And a lot of it, if you look at the socioeconomic background, the psychological background, you look at the reasons behind what they're doing, some of it you really can understand because there's a whole big jigsaw piece there that you have to sort of take away into pieces and try to look at it, you know. This particular Pathway 4 group, there were, you know, huge issues in deprivation. There was issues in drugs, being surrounded in a community of drugs and violence being surrounded with parents that have got pregnant at very, very young ages, abuse, trauma, okay, um, illiteracy. And when I say illiteracy, I mean not seeing the point of school, not seeing the point of education. It's a case of you have to just turn up. School for them was like somewhere where they just had to go because they had to. Otherwise, their parents would get into trouble, okay? So... Some of them would would do that. For, for others, school was a place of refuge as well because it might have been the only place where, for example, they were able to get a shower. They were able to get something to eat. They were able to get warmth. Okay? So these, these are the scenarios that some of these individuals had. And we're talking about people that would come into school where they would have a shank. You know, if you don't know what a shank is, a shank is like a weapon. Okay? And it can be made from anything. And in that, very, very quickly, I realised the shank could be a, a blunt pencil, a razor blade. It could be um, an object you would not even see coming. Pencil sharpeners, for example. As silly as this might sound, pencil sharpeners, if you were giving them out in class, it was a no-no. Because they would use the, the razor blade from the pencil sharpeners as a weapon to attack someone else. Pen knives, craft knives, all of that I've seen used in different ways. Even a blunt fork, okay, or um, a blunt knife was sometimes used in different ways. Um, something like an old sharp um, plastic fork, the edge of it was used as weapons. These people are very smart, okay, very street smart. They would have weapons in their socks, okay, in their shoes, in the base of their shoes, places you wouldn't think of looking, okay, um, for some, all right? So these individuals, some of them, like I said, were able to be rehabilitated, some were not. I can remember a very disturbing pair of twins that we had. These twins had been in and out of prison from a young age. And psychologically, you could see that there's something not quite right there. Despite all the different people that were involved, the different factors, the different communities, the different outreach workers that were involved... These two got to the point where um, some of the disturbing things they did was, for example, they strangulated weapon, uh, sorry, strangulated animals, and left it to be, you know, decapitated and basically had turned the animal inside out. Had done various horrific things to this animal. Okay, and you know, if you're thinking back to cases like Jamie Bulger, you know, God bless him. Uh, and other cases like that where, unfortunately, young boys, young teenagers, young girls have got themselves in situations where they've assaulted, hurt, or unfortunately led to the murder of someone else that's innocent. It's quite triggering to know that these things are happening, 
Now, these particular twins that I'm mentioning, you know, they had quite a lot of rehabilitation done to them. They were actually very physically fit. They were um, known as being boxers. They were given all sorts of um, intervention to try and help them out, okay? And in some cases, the boxing helped for a while. Someone also got them into like a, a gardening club. And we actually discovered, you know, they're very, very talented with the boxing and the nature side. They were very much into the nature. They were into helping out and needed to be shown, basically, that you shouldn't be, you know, doing this to a particular animal. And a lot of the reason when we got to the core of it was because of the horrific things they were seeing and witnessing in their own household, you know. And understandably, both of these boys were taken into care and... Unfortunately, they ended up in the foster system for a while, but it was the best thing for them being away from the toxic environment that they were in. They were able to be rehabilitated. They ended up being gardeners, you know, and that's an amazing thing to think about from where they started off. They could have been, you know, signed up for life being known as these hardcore criminals because that's the reputation they had in that community, you know. But not all people can be helped. You know, that's one thing I did learn in my teaching career. Over the years, over the 24 plus years that I've been teaching, I've seen various other people come in and out of prison at very, very young ages. And you will try your hardest, you know, to use different methods. I've worked in PRUs. PRUs is a pupil referral unit where some of the students are, um, you know, on their last track of being expelled. Again, these students are hardcore Criminals, majority of them are in trouble with the law. They are in trouble with themselves. And a lot of it is, again, like emotional problems and psychological problems. But remember, these are our future generations. These are going to be our adults, you know, later on. And if we don't do something about it now, then we're setting ourselves up for a big failure later on. Okay. In adulthood, you'll have some individuals that have been to prison that have tried to make, you know, an, uh, a path straight again. They've tried to rehabilitate themselves. Now, some individuals you can, like I've said to you, the whole, the whole topic of this particular podcast is looking at who can we rehabilitate in our society. Firstly, you've got a couple of boundaries against you, you know, like I said, that you'll have individuals that will be judgmental. When you go for a job interview or you go to the job seekers allowance or whatever your system is, depending on where you're tuning in, You'll have various people, you know, saying, have you got criminal offences against you? You have to declare it, you know. That at times can be a hindrance for some when they're trying their hardest to go and do something new, to try and to try and better themselves, to try and better them life, and to start fresh. And sometimes it's very difficult to do that because not everybody, everybody will allow you to be free. Not everybody will allow you to forget what you've done. So that can be something of a hindrance, you know, and um, that can be quite difficult. It's very hard to earn trust again once you've been in the prison system or the criminal record system. Some people have got amazing charity work out there. They, you know, rehabilitate, they allow, they, you know, support, they mentor, they coach. A lot like I've done over my 24 plus years. They have done a lot of that, okay? But not everybody's like that. 
Sometimes, unfortunately, the person who has been in that system gets themselves caught up again with the wrong people or the wrong group or whatever the situation is that's led them to do a particular action gets them back down on that track again. It's not easy to stay straight, as we say, you know, on the straight and narrow path. It's not. Sometimes there's a lot of temptation and sometimes people are so judgmental that we think, okay, they're going to think that I'm a criminal, so I might as well act like it. Okay, so these things can go against us. There are times, though, you know, where we do really learn our lesson. I've known individuals really come out of situations where they've realized, okay, I made a mistake. I'm going to turn my life around and I'm going to focus on me and I'm going to focus on doing better and I'm going to focus on helping others. That, to me, for the people that have been in and out of prison or the jurisdiction service, you know, is something that we should be looking at. We should be trying to rehabilitate and we should be trying to help support these individuals because when they come back into society, it's society that holds them back. Not always, but in a majority of cases. It's not always easy to brush that aside. It's not always easy to move forward. And you also, in your heart, hold on to fear, you know. Some of the people that I'm aware of, that I've been working with and counselling with, you know, because I'm very selective in who I counsel, very selective. And I look at individuals and I go by gut instinct, because you do over time, you get that gut instinct of who you can help and who you can't. And there are some people you are gladly going to support and there are some people you're like, sorry, I can't do this, okay. The ones where I have walked away, the ones where I have turned my back, which is my right to do so, are the individuals that have been in and out of prison or have been in a situation where they've not necessarily been in prison, but they've really not learned their lesson. You know, they're still going around, they're still causing pain, they're still hurting people, they're still causing trauma and judgment and um, still intimidating or victimizing or harassing or bullying or straight up being a gangster, okay? And they're not willing to leave that lifestyle. They're not willing to leave that mentality. This is what they've chosen. This is what they're sticking to. Now, in their own mind, they might think that's the right thing to do. But if you're going to go out of your way and be vindictive and you're going to harass and hurt and you're going to, on purpose, on purpose, destroy somebody's life, or take someone's life, okay, and not consider the consequences, not look at your actions, not even repent. And if you're cold-bloodedly going to do something, you know, worst-case scenarios could be murders, okay? But you're not repenting, you're not showing any animosity towards, um, you know, the others or yourself. You're not looking at your actions, you're not looking at what you've done. You're not questioning what you've done. You're not recalibrating, you're not looking at things and thinking, no, it's wrong for me to do that. I'm not going into religion here, but, you know, part of one of the Ten Commandments is thou shalt not kill, you know, and in most religions cover that, okay? But some individuals are hardcore, narcissistically uh, in time, you know, sort of like focused on one agenda and one agenda only. They have no calibration of themselves or others, they're unable to empathise, they're unable to sympathise, they're unable to do anything other than think about themselves. 
and the ego is there the id is there but also there's this complex personality that is overriding some of them get this real kick and real vibe and real energy from hurting you know others don't get me wrong i'm a big fan of godfather you know and i'm a big fan of gangs of america i love things like that however dealing with it on a day-to-day -day basis or dealing with individuals like that that show that callousness you know um I know people that are clinical psychologists that deal with people that, that literally have no consciousness of what they've done whatsoever. You may have seen, you know, one of the documentaries that Louis Theroux did where he went to Alcatraz and talked to various prisoners. And, you know, you'll see some that are in there serving time. And you can see the remorse. You can see that they genuinely have that affliction and they have that repentance for what they've done. They want to put things right. And then there are some that just clearly don't, you know? And a famous film you might have seen, although it's, you know, it's a it's a film um, based, I think, not on a true story, but Shawshank Redemption, you know? Famous one that you'll know, the Morgan Freeman character in there. Some individuals will show repentance what they've done. Some individuals will, will build a friendship and a kinship. They will help the other inmates. You know, this is one of the reasons my grandfather was going in and out of that prison all the time. It's one of the reasons I've worked with prisoners in a prison system myself, because everybody deserves a second chance. Everyone deserves a chance to put things right. But like I said, there are caveats there because not everybody will fill that particular void. There'll be some where you draw the line like I have done. You'll try and give it a chance to rehabilitate. You'll give a chance to try and get that individual to move forward, to rebuild, to reprogram themselves, to start again. But not everybody can. And not everybody's willing to do that. But it also requires you to put that energy in too. You know? And for some people, prison is a wake-up call. It doesn't matter what time or length the service is that they've got to serve. You know, some people we know are in there for life. Some people we know are in there for short term. Obviously, again, that's another issue because of prisons and because of time and because of location and whether they're at capacity or not. You know, I've known individuals also who are in a situation where they're homeless, for example, okay? They're unable to get food, they're unable to get employment, they're unable to get a home. Their best way of surviving and not being on the streets is to commit more crimes and make sure that they're in a prison system. Because when, once they're in a prison system, they've got somewhere to sleep. They've got regular meals coming in, okay? They can earn some sort of an income depending on what it is that they do inside prison. So for them, when they are repeatedly being offenders, it's become a pattern of behaviour because that's the only safe and secure place they know. So there are individuals doing that too. And it's about being aware. What can we do as society? Well, we try our hardest. You know, each of us follow different particular codes within society. You know, one person I studied at university when I did one of my masters was somebody called Michael Foucault. You know, and Foucault was talking about um, prisoners and talking about capital and punishment. It's a very, very interesting text. It's something worth looking at, you know. 
And he talked about this idea of like rules in society and capital punishment and, and all of this sort of ec extra side of um, analysis when you look at the dynamics behind why we do that, why we do these particular rules and why we break them, you know. And like I said, some individuals are caught in a trap. They will do repeated things, repeated offences. It's not because they're doing it from a psychotic point of view or from, you know, um, let's just cause someone harm. In some scenarios, like I've said, they do it because it's their only means of survival. It's their only means of having a home over their head or something to eat or security. So not all cases can be quite severe, you know. There are cases obviously out there that are very, very severe. You know, I, I can recall um, some different types of um, witness protection plans being put into place for people when I did jury service as well. And you'll have individuals that are caught up in scenarios that they can't necessarily get out of. So it's an interesting concept when we look at, you know, can we rehabilitate someone or not? Um, all of us have to go case by case person by person, society by society. But one thing we have to try to do definitely is, as human beings is to show humanity and to show at least understanding and to try and give someone a ch second chance. You know, if they've blown that second chance with us, then it's up to us to put the necessary steps in and to take action, you know, whether that means unfortunately terminating the employment with that someone whether it means, um, you know, cutting barriers or reducing the salary or basically I'm saying, sorry, you can't, you know, can't be part of this organisation anymore. There might be positives, like I've said, you know, you, you see people completely, completely turning their whole life around. And it's those people I really do admire, you know, because they don't have to do that, but they go above and beyond helping not just themselves but helping their others and by doing that you're breaking any part of you that is that is not healed and by helping yourself heal you're helping yourself get empowered many people don't recognize that but also healing yourself is a big step to healing others as well because you're empowering yourself you see the error of your ways you see the error of your um, mistakes and you are you become a teacher you become someone that has wisdom you know and knowledge and you try your very hardest to be like a, a mentor you know to other young people in prison it could be older ones as well you know there's no judgment there on age but you can be wise and you can spread love and joy and you can spread wisdom to others as well and steer them onto a different path i've known people within the prison system who are serving life for example and they've made it their mission to you know maybe preach about a particular religion or they might you know if someone's in a religious group for example you know trying to help them to get on the right path um, they might have set up groups where for example someone's illiterate or someone is unable to um, you know do even basic um, sort of compassionate compassionate understanding they might not be someone that has all the basic skills of a human being because a lot of the people that are in prison have missed out on family background family support and in prison when you have got these mentors they do become part of your family you know 
and they do become protective they are there to help and support you and help guide you as well with that wisdom and with that with that love and that kindness not everybody's going to be like that of course but those are the prisoners that really make a difference they make a change and they should be forgiven the one thing that they find hard is to forgive themselves you know um sometimes it is very very difficult to forgive themselves when my house many 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 years ago was burgled one of the new things that came in within uk law was for the two gentlemen who were caught uh, unfortunately very very high on drugs part of their rehabilitation was to have a meeting with me and to explain to me um why they had burgled my property now what the two gentlemen didn't know was uh, and i can say this now because at the time it was very very difficult i actually taught their daughters in that very complex inner city high school and i felt more apprehensive for their daughters because they knew that their fathers had been taken away and had been put in prison whilst on drugs they had been put away for a long time because there was a warrant out for them and they had been found with the evidence at my property and yes i did speak to them and i did explain that you don't know the knock on effect you know uh, or the implications of the bigger implications because not many children of that age in that particular area and complex of where i was teaching knew their actual biological fathers okay these two did which was a rarity in the school that i taught in and i had to go through the jurisdiction you know and i had to go through the different court systems but i think the penny sort of sunk into them when they realized that day to day their their daughters are going to be seeing me you know someone whose house they broke into someone that they got caught by because you know police found them and so on they can change things round they can you know these two individuals for example that i'm talking about can change that and they did you know but it took a long time for them to do that so we can sometimes have redemption in different ways maybe sometimes as a wake up call later on in life and like i said sometimes sadly the redemption doesn't come along at all the wake up call doesn't come along and we can't help everybody we can't change everybody for the better and that's a situation that we have to find and we have to accept and we have to acknowledge okay look around you look around at the people that you've got maybe there are people that you also think you know can i help this person can i not can i change this person for the better can i not depending on the scenario maybe the one that's come out of the prison system is the one that changes you because certainly for me these children the teenagers the adults that i've worked with they're the ones that i found the most rewarding believe it or not in my life and they're the ones that i have opened up my heart to and my soul to because i could see that they want to put things right that they want to make a change and i think we need more people like that less judgmental more love and more compassion let me know what you think what's your views on this topic i'm sure i'll be covering another topic like this again let me know your views drop a message see what you think you might have alternative views to me you're entitled to do so but it's an interesting one isn't it there's never always a cut and straight answer is there thanks for tuning in looking forward to listening to your views and uh take care god bless stay safe bye for now